0: can't tell you how excited I am to have only 15 or 20 of you in here. Uh, I mean, I really am excited about that because there's 15 or 20 helpers out there, and I love that we can have this dual thing going on at one time. We can have people out in service and people here in worship, and I think that's amazing, so I'm excited, all right? But uh, anyways, let's pray. Lord, I love you. I thank you. I praise you, God, as we continue to study uh, prayer, and we can. uh, in particular, the roadblocks uh, to prayer, God, I, I pray that you would open our own hearts, open our minds, open our, uh, or just reveal through your Holy Spirit, those things that we place in front of you, and those things that we prioritize before you, and those things that just get in the way, Lord, of us having a d- dynamic relationship uh, expressed through open and, and, and blessed uh, prayer. And God, I just ask that you would you would use tonight to maybe touch some sensitive areas in our lives, God, in order that we may go forward from this place, God, more uh, eager and, and and better prepared to communicate openly and freely and in devotion to you. And so, Father, I pray in the name of Jesus you would bless this time. Speak through me as I stand upon your holy word, but behind the cross, so that you may receive all the glory. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. And so that's where we are. We are uh, continuing in uh, Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 8 is where we are. But again, uh, these, this past week and, and, uh, and tonight, it's a little bit different. We're going to be here, there, and everywhere, alright? Uh, so, so just try to follow along if you wish. If not, I'll read the, the passages to you and we'll do it that way. Uh, a few years back, when Carly and I uh, were dating... Carly's grandparents lived in Lake Charles, Louisiana. Now, Lake Charles is a city of about 100,000 folks, and, uh, and I'm, I was not familiar with Lake Charles, or not overly familiar with Lake Charles, but we would go to Lake Charles, and we would take the same route every time that we went to Lake Charles to go and see her grandparents. Well, one time we were at her grandparents, and I don't remember what was going on, but they sent me on an errand just said, Nelson, I need you to go do whatever it is that they needed me to do. Probably pick up something from the store. Uh, and anyway, so I, I go out on this errand. and I said, okay, give me directions. I need you to tell me exactly how to get to this place. And so they give me directions, go around this corner, do this, that, the other, and you will be right there. And so I follow their directions to a T, and I get to the corner where they tell me that the shop is going to be, and there's construction and there is construction all across the road and so here is my goal on the other side of the road and here is me in my car and in between me and my goal is roadblocks it's just construction work all over and, and so I look at this situation and I basically tell myself okay you have three options here you have three things that you can do option one you can go try to find another route. You can just turn that thing around, go uh, shimmy through, and maybe that's the manly thing to do. Uh, but I've never been blamed for having too much testosterone. So, so anyways, I decided against that. I was like, I don't want to get lost in this city. I don't want to be calling people and being like, listen, I have no idea. And this was prior to cell phones too, so it would have been trying to find a you know payphone or a, you know a gas station or something. And anyways, uh, so. So that was that was like okay I'm throwing that one out the window. Option number 2 was go back. All right? You know the way that you came, turn around, go back the the way that you came. And and I thought to myself, you know, this is a pretty good option. You could just say, "Listen, there was there was op, obstacle in the way, you couldn't get through it, and I didn't want to get lost, so I'm just coming back." But then crossed my mind option number 3. Just move all that junk. So <laughs> I put my car in park, and I went and I moved all of these roadblocks, and, and I went over uh, this construction area. Now, why do I share with you a story that I'm fairly sure is illegal? Okay, Why, why would I share that with you? And I, I share it with you because that's the way I feel about prayer. That's how it is with, with, with prayer. There's, uh, there's a reason that I haven't called these last two messages... The, uh, the speed bumps to prayer. Because in speed bumps, you're going along and you slow down and you go over slowly and then you continue forward. But when, but when we talk about roadblocks, you come to a complete stop. And when we look at these things and, and what we looked at last week, which we'll review here in a second, but what we looked at last week and what we're going to look at tonight, I believe these are things that are in our lives that could very easily just stop us to stop us in our prayer, especially to a devoted lifestyle of prayer. And that's the reason we call these the roadblocks uh, to prayer, because, you know, we might be able to say, all right, there's other avenues that we could take, there's other techniques that we could do, there's other programs, there's other formulas, there's other methods to develop my relationship with God. But ultimately, the reality is, Scripture has revealed to us that there is one of two basic and, and primary ways in which we have a stronger and uh, relationship with God. And one of those two primary ways is prayer. And there is no substitute for it. And So my goal tonight is to recognize some issues so that you may, in your life, address those issues so that you may, in your life, may have a better prayer life. All right? And so that's, that's where we're going. So in, in way of review, what we talked about last week, two, two roadblocks to prayer. The first one we said is that we treat God like a dessert. We treat God like a dessert. That, that our lives are so full, like we get full at a restaurant, by the time the dessert comes around, uh, it's, it's not something we necessarily want. It's not something that we really have to have. It's it's just something on the top. If we didn't if we didn't get too filled, well then we'll throw the dessert on there as well. And so this is kinda how we treat God as well. That that it's not something that he's not something that is something we need he's not someone that we need he's just something that we throw on the top something that we can we we put in there if we're not already full enough and if we ever get that thought in our mind that we don't need god and and that's one of those questions that you have to take a step back because we're southern baptists we've been trained all our lives that we need god but if we take a step back and look at our lives and say okay does my life reflect the fact that I think that I need God? If we, if we do that, and, and maybe some of us will take an inventory and realize, well, I don't act like I need God. I don't, I don't treat every situation like God is a necessary part of my life. And then if we do that, what happens is we set up a roadblock. We set up a roadblock to prayer, prayer because when we treat God like a dessert, all of a sudden we treat prayer like it's a ribbon-cutting ceremony. That was roadblock number two. And what we meant by that is that uh, it's, we do the planning, we do all the preparation, we do all the thinking, we do everything for ourselves, and then at the very end we throw God on the end and say, God, would you bless this? God, bless my idea. God, bless my plan. God, bless everything about the things that I am doing. And, and you know, I'm just going to throw you on at the end instead of saying, God, enable me to do what you are blessing right and so so these are the first two that we looked at that that we sometimes we we see we don't see God as a necessity and and secondly, we exclude God because we don't see Him as a necessity they they, they built right on top of each other all right, so we move on to tonight, all right, and the first thing that we see or the third thing depending depending on how you want to look at it, but uh the third roadblock to prayer is what we'll call. Eat your veggies. All right? The third roadblock is what we'll call eat your veggies. Now, there's no kid in the world that comes out of the womb loving veggies, okay? That's just not the way it works. And and my brother, uh, my brother was just a hard-headed kid, all right? And and my brother hates beans. Any kind of beans, my brother absolutely despises beans beans. Well, my dad, on the other hand, thought beans were essential to going to heaven. Uh, I mean, my dad thought beans were it. That was the way it was going to be. And so we had two extremely hard-headed individuals, and my dad would say, you have to eat your beans. And then he'd get so mad because my brother wouldn't eat his beans, and he said, and everything else, okay? You cannot leave until your plate is completely clear. And so I remember times that, at least for me at that age, It seemed like hours that my brother would just sit there. Didn't care. Didn't care. He would rather get told to go to his room, be grounded for two weeks, and have to write 10,000 lines. He did not care. He was not going to eat. Well, this one time, my brother thought he would beat the system. And so what he did is my mom had made green beans this one night, and I don't know how he did it. Uh, To this day, I don't know how he did it, but he took probably a plate of 15, 20 green beans and casually put them in his mouth and he didn't eat a, one of those things he did not swallow or chew one of those things I don't know where he put them <laughs> he hit him under his tongue put them under his cheeks under his lip I, I, I don't know what my, what my brother did but, but amazingly though with, with all these green beans in his mouth with a straight face and no, no difference in the way he talked he just looked at my dad and he said I'm done and my dad said looked at his plate And then my brother snuck off to the bathroom and he spit every one of those beans into the toilet. And no one would have ever known about this except he forgot to flush. Uh, uh, And that was another war for a different story for a different time. But this is often how prayer is treated. We treat prayer like eat your veggies because it's good for you. Because it is essential. That is, prayer is something that you have to do. I and mean, we've all heard the line. I heard it when I was a kid. I'm sure you all heard it. You know, there are starving children in Africa right now who would love to have your green beans. That never made sense to me. I was like, they, they could care less about my green beans. My green beans are right here. How am I going to get my green beans over to Africa? If they want them, they can have them, you know? Uh, but this is, the, this is the type of thinking that, that has stolen the joy out of prayer. See, see, God designed prayer not as law, but as joy. See, see, we do see in Scripture, and we, we discussed this two weeks ago, that prayer is expected and prayer is commanded. But what we've done in our own Pharisaic righteousness, what we have done is we have, we have made it a legalistic adherence to the law instead of a pleasure in communication with god see prayer doesn't need to be like eat your vegetables prayer needs to be like savor your steak savor your steak now see here's what i mean no one no one hacks off a little piece of celery and puts it in their mouth oh oh i've been waiting all day for this this is so good no you know no one does that with a little slice of celery but steak Oh, steak's a different story. <laughs> steak, when steak is done right, oh, it just melts in your mouth. So tender, juicy. If you like it like me, bloody. Oh, it's so incredibly good. That's why I am, I am uh, I'm devoted to the idea that I'm going to take the men of this church. No offense, ladies. I know you got me outnumbered tonight. But, but I'm going to take the men of this church to the holy land of steak which is Texas Day Brazil. Let me explain Texas Day Brazil to you. I've explained it to Eddie Lee about a hundred times, and we haven't gone yet. It's it's heresy. But anyways, uh, Texas Day Brazil is, is a a moving steak buffet, okay? And and basically guys have steaks on swords and they carry these steaks and they're all different kinds of cuts of steak cooked however you want it. They'll have a whole rack of steak on this sword, and you say, well, I like mine rare and no one else in the restaurant likes it rare. They don't care. They're bringing out a whole thing of rare filet mignons or bacon wrapped filet mignons or flank steak. Oh, it's so good. Anyways, uh, you know, it, it's... We're going, all right? (laughs) We are going. We're we're gonna make that happen. And, And but listen, this is what God desires. God wants us to want prayer. God wants us to enjoy prayer. God wants us to look forward to prayer. Listen. How many how often has it been that way for you? How often have you gotten before God and been like, God, I'm so glad. I'm so glad that I get to do this today and at this time. I'm so glad that this is, this is our time to talk, to communicate, for us to enjoy each other. See, that's not the way we treat it. Jesus, we see in Luke chapter 5, verse 16, says, But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Why do you think He did that? Do you think it was because He had to? or because He wanted to. Jesus loved talking to the Father. How would it feel? How great would it be if we just looked forward to those times where we get to get alone and get away and spend time with God? But here's what we do. Here's what we do with our prayer. We allocate five or ten minutes in the morning, or maybe we have a, a, a commute to work, a little bit of longer time of a commute to work, and we we say, okay, this this time is going to be whatever, however long it takes me to go, and and so you get in the car or you spend those five or ten minutes in the in, in prayer, and you say, okay, God, here's what I need. Bam, 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 and after you tell them what you need, you say, okay, peace out. We'll t- I'll talk again tomorrow. You know, <laughs> that's often how we treat prayer. But imagine this in your marriage. Imagine this same situation in your marriage. You wake up and you look at your spouse. Roll over. Both of you have incredibly bad breath at this point. (laughs) And you look at each other and you say, we have five minutes to talk. Let's get it over with. And so you start to talk and, and you look at each other and you just start saying, okay, this is what I need, this is what I need, this is what I need, this is what I need. Oh, five minutes is up. Catch you tomorrow. How would that go? Now the men in here are like, what's the illustration uh, <laughs> but but seriously though how would that go in in our marriages we, we know the answer to that that's that's not the way that it's intended to be but but imagine man if we took off our watches and just said okay forget it I just want to talk now imagine that guess what you just saved your Self twenty dollars on Valentine's Day because you don't need to get roses anymore. You just gave a great Valentine's gift. Listen, take time in prayer, but take pleasure in talking to God. Take time, but take pleasure. Psalm thirty four eight says, "Taste and see that the Lord is good. He's good. It's not a it's, in the end. It takes practice, but in the end, it's not a difficult thing. It's not a hard thing. It's it's an enjoyable thing." All right, so that's that's number one. Eat your veggies. All right, number two, empty threat. All right, now this is this is a personal experience analogy because uh, because I am I am very young and and consider myself a rookie at at raising children, and so so I am uh, making. <laughs> All my mistakes on Carson, hopefully, uh, but but we are working through this thing together, this whole fatherhood thing together, and one mistake that I have made frequently is that I, or I used to make a lot more frequently, and hopefully I've cut back on it a little bit uh, now that I've recognized it, but I, I've made a lot of empty threats, made a lot of empty threats. Now, Carson has been raised in such a way that he knows that when he does something wrong, he is going to be punished. But he also knows that over time, Dad has been awful lenient, too. There's been a several times where Dad has said, if you do this, I'm going to do this. And, and nothing ever came of it. And so, even though he would do this, you know. And so, uh, so uh, he recognized that over time. And, and so, what happened is Carson uh, started to test me. Carson, on a fairly regular basis, started to test me because here's what he realized. He, he, he had been disciplined by me before, but he'd also seen me you know cop out and not follow through before as well. And so this is what he realized. He realized, hey, Dad has the power to do it, but I don't really think he's going to follow through. And I believe this is, this is how we view God a lot of times through prayer. This is how we view God a lot of times through prayer. We know God is capable of everything. We know God is the God of the universe. And God can do whatever He wants. He is very capable of answering all of our prayers. But we don't believe He'll actually do it. We don't believe He'll actually do it. And you know why? Because we prayed. Nothing's happened. We prayed for that loved one prayed for that friend, and they died. We prayed for that raise, and we prayed for that promotion, and someone less deserving got it. We prayed that the pain would go away. We prayed for this. We prayed for our children. We prayed for that. We prayed for all these things, and we don't see the, the results. And what happens over time when we are praying like this, and we don't see the results, we begin to lack and without faith that God hears our prayers, or without faith that God cares about us deeply enough, or without prayer faith that God actually answers our prayers, what happens? They dry up. Our prayers dry up. So I ask myself this question. Why is it so hard sometimes to see God's answer? Why is it so hard sometimes to to get a glimpse of of God's response to our prayers? I want to start by this. I want to start on a positive note. Sometimes it's not hard at all. Sometimes God is more than clear and more than evident. He's just putting himself out there. It's kind of like Carly and I with this whole adoption thing. Uh, you know, when Carly and I both at the same time kind of felt it in our hearts that that we should start adopting, we said, God, we want you to confirm this. We want you to be in this. We want you to be all about this. And in about a one or two week time, it was like adoption was coming up from all different avenues about four or five times a day. And so we were like, okay God, we're hearing you. You're speaking. We got you. right. So we're supposed to adopt. So so we, we go through that thing and then we start praying, okay Lord, where do you want us to adopt from? Listen, China wasn't on the map. China was not on the map. But through a series of circumstances and through the way God does things, China was the only thing that was available. And all of a sudden, he put it in us and and he made our hearts compassionate for China. I remember we were at Secret Church over in the youth building and they had this section where we prayed for the Hui. And the Hui is just a people group in China. And I'm in the back table. Oh my God, I love China. You know, I'm just bawling in the back because God had softened my heart for China. And then the unexpected happens. Carly gets pregnant. And I'm like, what does this mean? What what does this mean that you know we heard you, we were confirmed, and we we're planning, we're going ahead, we're doing everything in order. And so we start praying again. We say, Okay, God, we know that you were in it. We don't know what's going on now. But if you still want us to adopt from China, then you need to take the next step, you need to do. You need to lead the way for us because we don't know what is going on. And sure enough, even though we technically fail every qualification to adopt from China at this point because of the new baby, uh, and even though our paperwork is not technically far along enough, our adoption agent said, "It's far enough along." Go ahead. And so we are still adopting from China. We're going to have two babies here, here shortly, and it's going to be great. But this is this is a way that God obviously opens the door for us, that sometimes it is abundantly clear. But we all know that other times it's not. At other times, it's not abundantly clear. So what's the deal with that? Why is it that some it's so hard to see the results from our prayer? All right? And so we're going to look at uh, three things. And the, and the first thing is, we want immediate results, don't we? We want immediate results. I know uh, most of us, or probably everyone in here, remembers the dial-up internet. You know, you'd go and you'd click on a website, and you'd go and you'd eat supper, <laughs> and you'd come back, and then the, the website would be up and ready, and then you'd go and you'd click on the link that you actually want to read, and then you'd go watch a TV program, and you'd come back, and you'd finally have it, all right? But then... Uh, Technology started to upgrade. And they started getting DSL and then cable modems and, and all this different stuff. And now, if anything takes more than a couple of seconds, we get frustrated, right? Well, this is the same thing that we do with God. This is the same thing that we do with God. We want these immediate results from God. Donald Whitney said, if we felt certain of visible results within 60 seconds of every prayer, there would be holes in the knees of every pair of Christian-owned pants in the world. Sometimes we do get the immediate results, right? Sometimes we get, have a... Sam Varghese, India moment where it's raining and people are leaving and he said, hey, do you not believe in God? God's going to stop this rain. Lord, stop this rain. And it stopped raining. Sometimes we get that. But that is not the norm. Praying is oftentimes about trusting and seeking after the Lord. And sometimes it means for years. Years. If we look at the story of Hannah in 1 Samuel, What we see in Scripture and what is implied in Scripture is that year after year after year after year year, she goes before the Lord at the temple or at the tabernacle and she says, give me a son, Lord. Please give me a son. And she is committed to this prayer. Even now, Carly and I pray for, for Carson and Caroline and the next baby and our Chinese baby. We pray for their spouses right now. We're praying for their spouses, and, and we pray for their salvation. Uh, and I put that in backwards order. I shouldn't have done that. But we pray for their salvation. We pray for their spouses, and we pray for their servant uh, ministry out uh, to, to the world and among the church. And so so this is something that we know is going to be years and years and years down the road, but it's something that is that we are committed to. See, what we do with God is we often think of God as a guest who we told to bring Coke, but he shows up 30 minutes late to the party and brings chips. <laughs> this, is, this is what we think of God. He, he's, he's late and he doesn't bring what we want, right? But God is always on time. And God always gives us exactly what we need, even though he may seem late to us and it seemed like it's kind of an off the wall sort of thing. 2 Peter 3, 8 and 9 says, But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping His promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Now this is referring to the return of Christ, but here's, here's what he's saying. Listen, we want it now. We have salvation, we have Jesus, we have the Lord, we want to see Jesus return now because we want to have that fulfillment of our salvation. We want the fulfillment of everything that has been promised us in Scripture, but, but God says, hold on a second there, Bucko, listen, we, there's a world out there that doesn't know me. There's a world out there that doesn't know my son, so I am patiently enduring and waiting and allowing people the opportunity to repent and and come to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. So for us, we, we see it and we say, I want it, I want it, I want it. Give it to me now. And God has more perspective. And God has a bigger plan. And God says, listen, I know what I want, and I know what's for my glory, and I know what is for your good, and this is what it is. It is for me to be patient. I love Greg Mott. He says, In ministry, the rewards are always later and greater. And I think that ties directly in with prayer. Because in prayer, the results are typically later, but they are always greater. Because it's God's way. It is God's way. Alright? Another reason that we can't see prayer is because prayer is spiritual. When I think of pr- spiritual prayer and what goes on in prayer, my mind always goes back to Daniel. And I just want to read you this passage. I don't know if it's altogether familiar. Uh, I think Probably many of you are familiar with it, but I want to read it. Daniel chapter 10, verses 12 through 14 says, Since, And this is an angel talking to Daniel. Since the first day that you set your mind to gain understanding and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard, and I have come in response to them. But the prince of the Persian kingdom resisted me 21 days. Then Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me because I was detained there with the king of Persia. Now I have come to explain to you what will happen to your people in the future, for the vision concerns a time yet to come. And so here's what we have in this passage. A lot of people have understood this passage in different ways, but what we have are angels talking to Daniel, and here's the two main interpretations of what's going on. Either this angel is talking to Daniel, he's, he's... Uh, Daniel has prayed. He has received a response from God. The angel is bringing the response from God to to Daniel. And then a a demon, who is known as the Prince of Persia in this case, this demon stops him. There's some kind of conflict. Michael comes in, and he breaks this thing up. Victory for God. And the message goes through as Daniel prays for all 21 days, right? The other interpretation is that... that, uh, this is an angel, and he's, he's there. Uh, Daniel's prayer has reached heaven, and the angel is coming to deliver the message to Daniel, and and then the literal prince of Persia, or the king of Persia, uh, is is uh, on his way to attack, uh, already beaten down Israel, and so this angel stops to uh, stop the onslaught of the attack of this Persian king, and, and Michael comes along to assist in it, and and, and kind of to free this one angel up to go and finish telling the message uh, to Daniel. But, but here's the point. No matter what it means, I love uh, the way uh, Donald Whitney sums it up. He says, prayer involves communication in the spiritual realm. And because of that, many prayers are answered in ways that cannot be seen materially. And that's the point. That's the point. When we pray, we are communicating with God. What, is, what does Scripture tell us about God in, in John chapter 4? God is spirit. So when we pray, we are praying spiritual things in the spiritual world, and we don't see it. We don't understand it. We don't get it. And so God's doing his thing basically behind the scenes. And so it's very, it, it would make sense then that we don't understand and we don't see every response to our prayers. Finally, the reason that we don't see our prayers uh, answered is, is sometimes answer is no sometimes the answer is just no scripture gives us a litany of reasons why god answers no to our prayers i, I as i was studying this this week i thought man this would be a, a good sermon in and of itself but just to give you kind of the, the punch list wrong motives disobedience Impatience, indifference, lack of mercy, not honoring others, idolatry, stubbornness, unbelief, unconfessed sin, and unforgiveness are all reasons that God will look at our prayers and say, no, no. Or, and kind of mixed in there as well, is instead of saying no, it would be a prayer that says, I'm not listening to that prayer. Because of these certain types of sins. And these are negative reasons, but there's a positive reason in Scripture too. Romans 8, 26 and 27 says, We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. That is, we don't know the best thing to pray for ourselves, so God says no to our prayer, and through his Holy Spirit prays for us for his will, alright? So that is a positive, uh, positive spin on why God says no, but here is the point. God does answer our prayers. He does it in His time, He does it in His way, and He does it for His purposes, but ultimately, it is for our best, even if we can't see all right? And so we have this roadblock to prayer. Eat your veggies. It's kind of a law uh, interpretation of prayer. And then empty threat. That, that God is, is able, but he's unfaithful. All right. Uh, the final one, I couldn't think of a quirky name for it, so we'll just jump right on it, <laughs> is lack of discipline. We're all creatures of habit. Every one of us is creatures of habit. This really struck me when I played high school football. We would have to do the same drills over and over and over and over and over and over and over over again. And I remember one August, late August afternoon in Louisiana heat, I just said, coach, what's the point, man? (laughs) We have done this so many times, we know it, right? He looked at me and said something to this effect. He says, if if you have to think about what the right thing is to do uh, while you're on the field... You're already beat. He said, but what I'm trying to train you to do is to do the right thing without thinking. And when it comes to prayer, that's the, that's the attitude of discipline that we need to take for it. See, Scripture teaches us, 1 Timothy 4, 7, that we ought to discipline ourselves for the purpose of Godliness. But most of us, if we're honest, have not trained ourselves to, to be in that devoted and continual lifestyle of prayer. B. Edmund says, Ours is an undisciplined age. The old disciplines are breaking down. Above all, the discipline of divine grace is derided as legalism or is entirely unknown to a generation that is largely illiterate in the scriptures. We need the rugged strength of Christian character that can come only from discipline. So how do we discipline ourselves to pray? Well, it's very simple. We do it the same way that we discipline ourselves for any other thing. We prioritize it, and then we practice it. We prioritize it, and we practice it. If we don't prioritize it, we won't do it. If we don't practice it, we won't do it for long. Okay? So we need to do those two things. But what has happened in our culture and what has happened uh, maybe in our own hearts is that when we, we hear this kind of message and we hear these kind of things and we say legalism. This is legalism. This is just rules that are being heaped on rules that have nothing to do with Scripture. I'm free in Christ. I can approach God however I want to approach God. And fair enough. But is it legalism? for a baseball player to try to swing the bat the way his coach tells him to? Is it legalism for an employee to follow the, the order that his boss has given him? See, legalism is adding our own regulations on top of a command. So, for instance, something we've all heard growing up is is when we wake up in the morning, we need to give time to God. When we wake up in the morning, we need to spend time in prayer with God. Pray before we start our day, right? This is something most of us probably have been taught since we were little kids, is pray before you start your day. The problem is, find it in Scripture. Yes, Jesus did pray early in the morning, And and that's a good example, and this is probably really, really good advice, but it is not a command. That's legalism. That's adding our own rules on top of what has been commanded when it comes to reading the Scriptures. I have a routine that I like to do that I I read two chapters in the Old Testament. Uh, I read a proverb, I read a psalm, and I read a chapter in the New Testament. And I try to do this every day. But if I walked around and said, listen guys, this is the way to read Scripture, then that is legalism however if we were to say we need (coughs) excuse me we need to develop a habit of studying scripture and prayer that's not legalism that's obedience because that is god's word and here's the beautiful thing about obedience when we have disciplined obedience it leads to freedom disciplined obedience leads to freedom one time I tried to learn how to play the guitar. That was a train wreck. <laughs> I, I tried uh, real hard to learn how to play the guitar. And I tried to learn the chords. And I tried to, to look at music and try to figure that out. And I tried to do all these things to, to, to learn it. And it just it didn't pan out for me. But a student of an instrument... They have to learn the rules of music. And then they have to learn the rules of their instrument. And then they have to repeat the same songs over and over and over and over again. I remember my brother in middle school, oh my goodness, uh, he played the clarinet, which was just horrible for him anyways, but he played the clarinet and every single day we'd hear Over And oh, I hated that stinging song. I never wanted to watch The Lion King again. That thing was terrible. And he just kept on doing it and doing it and doing it and doing it. But guess what happens? Guess what happens? After you've done it, after you've learned it, after you've experienced it, all of a sudden, that, that instrument that bound you, that instrument that tied you up and made you follow all these rules and all these processes and all these things, now you are free to explore it. You are free to move about on it. You are free to go beyond the sheet and go through the instrument. You are to be the musician. You are to be the artist. It's not the thing constraining you, but you expressing yourself through it, right? That is that's kind of the idea uh, behind it, and that is the idea behind the spiritual disciplines as well. That is why I encourage people to find a time. And to find a place. And find a routine of of spending time with the Lord. I encourage that because as you do the disciplines over time, it's going to free you. It's going to free you in your relationship with God. D.G. Kell put it like this. True spiritual self-discipline holds believers in bounds, but never in bonds. Its effect is to enlarge, expand, and liberate. And So if we get into a routine, of spending time with God. If we do that, then what's going to happen over time is we're not going to have to do it the same way. But we're going to open up a, a, a just a, a wide variety of options, of ways that we can spend time with God, of ways that we can pray, of, of not following a list necessarily, but but just opening our hearts and our minds and, and, and even learning this this crazy, vague, thing that, that we talk about but almost seems like a daydream and not real of listening to God and listening for God instead of just uh, crying out to God but ultimately discipline comes down to this, it comes down to the heart because prayer must be a priority because God is our top priority and that's what it comes down to prayer is only going to be a priority because God is our top priority. And our hearts must be eager because we love God. I love Luke 11, 1. The disciples look at Jesus and they say, Teach us to pray. Teach us. We want it. We want it. Please teach us to pray. And that's the last of our six roadblocks is, We don't know how to pray. We don't know how to pray. And this is... Uh, this is where we'll go next week. We'll actually use this last roadblock as our transition into how do we pray. So, And then we'll get into the Lord's Prayer and all that kind of stuff. And that's that's where we'll go the next time uh, that we that we do it. But but uh, I want you to consider these. I want you to consider, uh, eat your vegetables. Has prayer become a law to you? Has prayer become something that you do not enjoy at all, but it's something that you do just because you know that you have to do it because it's good for you? That's not God's desire. God wants you to want Him. Alright? What about empty threat? Has prayer become this idea of empty threat? That, that I know God can do anything, but I don't actually believe God will do anything. I don't believe it. I you know, I pray and I just don't I don't I don't pray with faith because I don't I don't trust that there's actually going to be any kind of response. And ultimately what we're saying in that is we don't believe God is faithful not only our lack of faith, but it's it's saying God is unfaithful. And then finally, are we disciplined? Have we taken the time, and have we in our hearts prioritized and practiced prayer to where we get to the point where we can have freedom in our expression to God? This is what I want you to think about. Think about it. Pray about it. Ask God to reveal it to you. Do, you. do you consider him a necessity? Or is he just something to add on to the side? Have you excluded him out of everything and then tied him as a little bow on the top of your, uh, on the top of your plans and your decisions? I don't know where you are. I don't know how, how your prayer life stands. But here's the reality. God wants intimate communication with you. And if you take a moment to think about that, if you take a moment to step back and say, God, wants intimate communication with me? Psalm chapter 8 verse 4. What is man that you were even mindful of? Son of man that you care for? You, communication with me? You want intimacy with me? Let that drive. Let that drive. Let's pray. God, I love you. uh, And I praise you. And I thank you that that, uh, that you do want that kind of relationship and you do want that kind of communication because you love us. You love us uh, like like a a groom loves his bride. And you want to communicate with us. You want to reveal yourself to us, God. Lord, there's only so much you can do in five minutes. So, Father, I, I just pray in the name of Jesus Christ. God, that, that all of this kind of boils down to the same place that we go almost every week, maybe every week, I don't know. But our heart towards you. We we took away all the funny names and we we kind of just distilled it down, God. It would just say you. And our heart towards you, and our mind towards you, and our thoughts about you, your servant. A.W. Tozer, the most important thing about us is the first thing that comes to our mind when we think about God. So, Lord, you challenge us that you would genuinely be the first thing. Every day, every step, God, that you would genuinely be the first thing. And, Lord, let us express that love and that joy and that, that commitment your communication called prayer. Lord, I love you. Speak to us now. In Jesus' name I pray.